Welcome to the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Jones, former hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization, and now helping high school baseball players get recruited to play in college. In today's episode, my guest is Sean Stifler. Sean is the head baseball coach at Notre Dame. This season, 2023, will be his first season as the head coach at Notre Dame. Previously, he was the head coach at Virginia Commonwealth University. He turned the VCU baseball program into one of the most consistent programs in the country. It was one of, this is crazy, it was one of just seven programs nationally to earn 34 or more wins in each of the last eight full seasons. In today's episode, we focus on leadership skills as a head coach, some of the things Sean recommends you stay away from if you're coaching, and just some of the things he's learned throughout his journey as, as being a head college coach, and how to run efficient, productive practices. Sean is known as running an efficient, well-run, productive practice. He doesn't waste very much time at all, so he explains how he goes about doing that in this episode too. So for those coaches who are listening and are constantly looking for more ways to evolve and grow and get better and be able to help out their players, check out my weekly newsletter. It's called The Hitting Chronicle, where each Tuesday at 9 a.m. I send out a newsletter on ways to improve on the mental side of the game, developing better mechanics, drills you can do a cage, and anything else that's related to hitting development. So if you head to my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, you can sign up for my free newsletter, The Hitting Chronicle. So that's patrickjonesbaseball.com and sign up for my free newsletter, The Hitting Chronicle. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Sean Stifler. All right, we are now live with Sean Stifler. Sean, appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you, Patrick. It's uh, it's an honor to be here and excited to get a chance to uh, uh to get an opportunity to talk with you a little bit and and, uh, and learn from each other. Absolutely. Well, I got I'm coming right off the right off the bat here. I'm going to start. I got I got a question for you. So in in your opinion, Sean, you've been coaching, you've been a head college coach now for for a long time. What's what's the most important quality in a head coach? <laughs> um probably the ability to adapt. Mm. Um to adjust and and to adapt and um, you know, it's funny. I guess I should take that back a little bit to adapt while staying consistent. Okay. I, I think you have to have an overall consistent theme to, to who you are. Okay. And what you believe in. And that has to be, that has to be present at the front of every time you talk to your team, every time you address a recruit, anytime you talk to alumni, what have you. But at the same time, you have to be willing to consistently adapt, learn, change, whatever you want to call it, you have to keep moving forward um, and be open to what's next. This game has probably changed more in the last 10 years or last five years than it did the previous 60 years. Um, you know, and, and so if you're not willing to open your eyes to that and you're not willing to open your eyes to the needs of your athletes as they change, then you're going to fall behind. But I also feel like you got to be rooted, right? Like you got to be rooted in something. And and with that change is going to be, you're going to butt up against some things that you absolutely feel like you got to stay consistent on. And those are what are going to be your virtues, your values, whatever you want to call them. And you have to be rooted in those as well. So I think being rooted in your values, being consistent in those, in those messages, 
what well, but while be willing to adapt and change is is probably the number one thing i think any leader or anybody in a position of leadership coaching what have you needs to be able to do one of the things that is so important about about coaching and, and kind of some some of the things that you you were talking about a little bit right there is just being able to just speak in front of your team and being able to communicate effectively and i believe there's an there's an art to that i mean if you w- look at some of the best speakers right on the planet i mean they do an incredible job of just changing tones and and pausing at certain things has that is that something that you've studied or is that something that you just over time with so many reps that you just kind of have your own way of doing it now you know it's funny um i don't consider myself a good speaker from that standpoint with, with the tone inflection and, and and good words and um and being able to pause at the right time i think one i studied communications in college you know so so that helped me so so presenting uh, was a piece that that I had to do a lot and, and was and was trained on while I was in undergrad at George Mason, but I think I think for me, again, I just always have spoken from my heart and from my from my values. And when when you can speak on that and you're not trying to change and you're actually talking about things that you believe in and that you know and that you've studied and that that you're sure about, then it becomes a lot easier to speak in front of your team. But I am always. You know, it's funny you say that. I am always listening to other coaches talk. I'm always listening to other guys speak. And you can tell, you know, when, when a guy is properly trained, there is there is more to it. And it's probably something that I wish I put maybe a little bit more time in as far as profession, professional presenting. Um, however, you know, in front of the team, it's it's a little bit more about about just coming from my heart and what I believe, but also at the same time, um, you know, I'll raise my voice when I need something to get ac- <laughs> something to get across for sure. You know, I'll, I'll make sure there's, you know, there's some tone, some tone change. But, um, you know, I think, again, if you. The other piece of it is I've always tried to really be myself. And so when you're just trying to be yourself and be relaxed in front of the group, you can be a little bit more vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, which allows you to tie in more more examples to your stories. And, and I think that helps when you're, when you're in front of the group as well. How often do you talk in front of the team? Not as much here as I'd like to. I, it's, I, it's funny you say, that. I was just on, on the phone today with a, um, uh, with another head coach. And, and I was, I was saying, you know, the one thing it's different here at Notre Dame, I don't feel like I'm in, I'm in front of the group as much as what I'm used to when I was at VCU. Um, maybe some of it is it, a lot of it's our academic schedule here. We have guys kind of coming and going and we have to practice a little bit differently here due to that. Some of it's weather related too. we're also in, in, you know, we're indoors right now at this time of year. So I, but I also, I'm not, a, I'm not a believer in a lot of meetings, but I am a believer in addressing the team every day. Um, I think if you start, if you start with a lot of meetings and a lot of talking, they tune you out like like kind of like the teacher in Charlie Brown. It's just wah, 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 wah. You know, right. you're just on them every day. I believe in standing in front of them, reminding them of our values and our, and our messages, whether it's very, very briefly, whether it's it, while you're explaining. It can be while you're explaining a drill. You know, here here is why this ties into our core values of why we do this. And, and uh, so I do believe in being present and in front of them. I don't believe in a lot of meetings, though. I'm not a big meeting guy. I think if you if you have good systems you can eliminate your meetings. When I've heard you you have really good systems. I've heard that you run very well organized practices 
which I think is a, a great topic because I, coaches are always looking to to be more efficient. You know, a lot of coaches are limited by time and space. So when you when you sit down, I mean, how does it work? Do you sit down and it's like, okay, this is what I need. This is what I want to get accomplished in this practice. And this is the framework. Like, how do you go about structuring your practice? Because I've had, I've heard from multiple people, like it's, it's really well, well run. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you saying that. And, and, you know, it's funny is I'm as insecure as anybody else. So I leave a lot of practices being like, boy, that was unorganized. And that wasn't, well, first off, I, I would start with saying you, you can't worry so much about your practice looking good on an Excel sheet or a Google form. Mm-hmm. You know, you actually got to like the practice actually needs to get done what you need to get done. From that standpoint, I always start with, you know, I'm a big 80, 20 guy, like, like keep the big thing, the big thing. Um, we're going to practice what we think helps us win baseball games the most. So with us, it's pitching and defense. Okay. And so we are going to start our day making sure that we have time to do individual defense, that our pitchers have an opportunity to complete their full throwing program. That's something about five years ago I changed where I was like, no, they are going, if it takes them two hours to do their full throwing program, then it takes them two hours. And we're going to give that to them because they, they affect the majority of the baseball game. Um, And then, then it's the team, the team concept of whatever, of whatever that piece is. I try to keep a lot of the individual development offensively off the field in the cages during skill work before practice, after practice. And we try to really keep those two hours uh, or three hours that we're on the field to team concepts and concepts that are going to help us win baseball games. I, you know, I, when I was at VCU, we, we practiced and played on a professional stadium, a double a, we were very blessed. We were in a double a stadium, uh, that was San Francisco Giants double A team. And before that, it was the Richmond, uh, the Richmond Braves triple A team for, for Atlanta. We would only get a certain amount of time during the week on that field. You know, it was a, it was a professional stadium. So I had to learn very quickly to be very efficient. And you, you start to cut out some things that maybe are not um, as important to winning as what maybe some other people think that very, very, very seldom are you ever going to see one of my practices where, one guy's hitting in the turtle and there's 40 guys just shagging a ball. We, we like to keep things moving and and keep things efficient. So, you know, tweak, adjust, meet, you know, you know, have, have good plans. But I think again, your practices will run more efficient when you are, when you are concentrating on the things that really affect your program and have the biggest return on winning in your program. I think it's easy to move those practices and, and get them going then. You mentioned batting practice, how the, the traditional one person in the cage hitting, everyone in the field hitting. That's actually another another note I wrote down to ask you about because they, um, I heard that yours, yours are fast paced. They're moving. What What's the batting practice like? So, you know, our, B, our BP here, our Irish BP, we, it stands for baseball practice. Like we are trying to incorporate base running, uh, situational defense, situational hitting, and decision-making offensively all into one. Um, so there's never a round of just five middle away, you know, then five and then grooving five middle and then five pull. We don't, we don't do that. We, we carry at bats. We, the hitter comes in, we have a scenario that is set up um, whether it's okay. You're, you're it's OO and we're taking all breaking balls. We are, we are hunting fastball away. 
So if we throw the ball in or we spin a breaking ball and and they make a bad decision and and swing at that or 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 roll over that pitch, we get them out of the cage. You know, mm. it's it's boom, get out of there. But we also reward them if we if we're hunting fastball away and we throw the ball in, and they take it, then the count moves on. It's one zero, you know, and and then they get to hunt they get to hunt another pitch. From there, we try to we try to incorporate the base running off of that as well. So. If there's a man at second base and we're running base, we're running bases at second, then we're we're talking to the hitter about two out RBI opportunities. And we're pitching him like a lot of the scouting reports would say to to kind of pitch him. And and uh if it's infield and then if they're at third base with less than two, then we might go infield in. So now the infield's tied in, the base running are tied in. But it's usually one swing. And and you may do that round five times, but it's one swing, one at bat each time. Mm. Just trying to prep the guys to um to 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 be ready in the game. So when that scenario comes up in the game, they're not stunned by it. Again, we try to keep a lot of the swing. I don't think BP is for your swing. That, that's that's my opinion. I, I think those twenty swings a day do, are not going to make or break your your how your swing looks. However, taking 20 individual at bats where you have to make a decision on what you're hunting, what is what we are trying to do as an offense, what we are trying to do as a defense, that will change the way you approach the game. And so we try to keep swing before and after practice in our skill work, but when we are on the field, we're trying to create scenarios to to put together a, a great at bat, a great inning, and then a, a pretty good baseball game. I love that because it's it's so much more realistic, right? I mean, it's you're you're developing hitters and not just swingers, right? You, the traditional yeah. BP model is it's about feeling good, it's about you know getting your swings in and all that. But in the game, it's not it's not like that. There's no second do over after you roll over one time in the game. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. The, nothing drives me more crazy, and and I've had to talk our guys out of it here at Notre Dame. They all want to end on a good swing. Right, they want their the round and one more coach. No, there's no one more. All right. Yeah, love it. I love lock, that. Yeah, you be ready and be locked in on the five you get, and and make those. And then if you don't end on the good one, go wait and deal with that. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, go go sit off on your, you know, wait your turn again, and then comprehend why that wasn't why you only you know, you only hit three out of the five balls hard, you know, and also also understand too, the game's not easy. You know, so even at 40 miles an hour from 40 feet away, it's not easy to square the ball up. So give yourself some grace. You know, if, if you square up three out of five balls in a round and hit them the way you should, it's a pretty good round, man. Right. Pretty good round. And the two you didn't shouldn't affect the next round. You know, shouldn't mm-hmm. you shouldn't carry that with you. So I think there's lessons to be learned on on processing that. I've never been – a feel good BP guy. That's never made sense. I, I've never been like where BP should make you have. You can only hit in the game today because you felt good in BP. Uh, I just, I just don't think that translates. And and ninety two with an eighty four mile an hour slider. There's nothing comfortable about that. So there's nothing that's going to be feel good about it. And I had, I had an old assistant. He used to say, no 40, 40, 40s. He'd say, you don't get rewarded for hitting a forty mile an hour fastball from 40 feet away off of a 40 year old man. He's like, <laughs> and so we just always kind of, we've always kind of stuck to that. I've heard, I've heard the 40, 40, 40, but I've never heard of it as the 40 year old man too. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's it was speaking of, I mean, you know, I, when I was coaching with the Orioles, you I would be able to watch, you know, guys, for, former Notre Dame grad Trey Mancini and him hit. And to your point, he's not barreling up every ball, right? No. But the I think the difference is is he's not freaking out over it either. And I forgot who who was it? Oh, Ken Revisa. He was the one who said, you know, how bad of a hitter are you where you need to feel good in order to hit good? That's 100%. You know, it is you know, are your results building your confidence or is your confidence building your results? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's something that we talk about all the time. You you know, if you have to be really really, you know, confident and feeling good to have a good game, then this game's going to chew you up because when you play 100 in our case 56 times a year and and, and College baseball is 56 sprints, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, it's not like pro ball where it's it's more – pro ball is more of a marathon. Like, college baseball is 56 sprints. And so you're not you're not going to win every sprint. Like, you're just, you're just not going to. And, and But does losing on Tuesday affect Friday because, you know, you had a bad day? And that's, that's what this game is all about. That's why this game is, I think, the greatest game because it teaches you – Regardless of what happened yesterday, you better get up and be ready to go today um, or you're going to be left behind. And so, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think you have to hit well at 5 o'clock um, to play well at 7. Sean, going back to what we were talking about a little bit ago about just leadership and coaching, what were some of the mistakes that that you made as a young head coach where you look back and you're like, eh, maybe you shouldn't have done that. If I could give that advice to another young coach, I would I would definitely do that so he doesn't do does make the same mistake I did. Well, that 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 could be a podcast on its own. <laughs> um, you, you know, I mean, I, I think that I that I evaluate daily mistakes that you know, that I've made and you, you learn, I mean, again, sometimes it's better to learn what not to do. Mm. You know, I think I, I think I've learned more from what not to do than I have learned on what to do. Um, you know, I, I think, again, I think early on, not understanding that each player, each player individually has, has, you know, a different way to be communicated with, each player has a different learning style. Um, you know, what works for some players may not work, may not work for others. I think just your willingness to have to be able to adapt to that. Um, I also think I've done a better job. And again, you get this as you go through, you know, some things that would have drove me nuts as a, as a young head coach, they don't bother me nearly as much anymore. You know, I, I used to say all the time that I wanted you know, Patrick, I used to, you know, as a young head coach, I wanted to walk across after the game and shake the other head coach's hand and him tell me, boy, your team is really fundamentally sound and they're always in the right place and you guys are doing all the right things and can situationally hit. Yeah, I, I just, I, that's all I wanted. I, that really made me, you know, but that was for me. That was mm-hmm. for me, right? Now I go across there and, and I want the other head coach to look at me and say, I tell you what, man, your guys compete their tails off. And while they do it, they look like they're having a blast. They look like they're having so much fun doing it. That's for the players, you know? And, and I think as you get older and you stay in the game more, you need to realize that the game is for the players. It, it The game is for the players. It's not about you. It's not about your coaching style. It's not about you being right. The game is for the players prepare those players to go out and play the game and they will go win the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have very little to do with it. 
to man, that's awesome. I love that right there. Speaking of of competition, do you think you can develop a competitor, or do you think you have it or you don't? <laughs> I think it can. I think it can be trained. Yes, or okay. some people blessed with the gene a little bit more. I, you, know, you know, again, I don't know if people are blessed with the with a higher competition gene. I think they are blessed with a higher capacity. Mm. Okay, where they just they just not that they necessarily want to beat you any more or less. They just don't want to stop until they learn the skill. Okay. And so if you're playing ping pong with somebody and everyone's like, man, they, they just really wanted to win. They'll just keep playing until they, they want to know the skill. They want to understand and unwrap what the skill is. And I think that's more and more of what I see. You know, I, something else when you talk about learning, I grew up in an era, Patrick, when, okay, let's say for instance, I'm wearing a Notre Dame Jersey. You're wearing a USC Jersey. And we're going to go out and fight in the street until somebody wins. All right. Like, like, like I, like, you know, you just hated the other, you hated the other Jersey. I believe today's young people, they grew up in a different era where competition me is more, uh, I call it video game competition where you win at this level. And so you go on to this level and then you win at this level. And then, and then you keep going and you keep, they do mastery better than than my generation did, which is why I think the weight room and the metrics are such a big piece to this generation where they 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 see the improvement, right? Like you, you're squatting 300 pounds today and three weeks from now you squat 315. They keep seeing improvements where in my day it was like the weight room was a little bit. No, I just wanted to go play like, like mm-hmm. no, no, I don't want to be in the weight room. Hit me ground balls. Or let's go take BP. And so they're competing versus themselves more than necessarily the outside competition. That's that's what I see a little bit more. It's still competition. They're still striving to be the best player they can be. But it's just not that old school mentality of just go play, go roll around in the street until somebody calls uncle. You, you know, I mean, that's yeah. just how which was how I grew up. And so the weight room and analytics seem very foreign to me, you know, but yet if, if we're going to go play backyard football, I'm in, man, like, I, <laughs> like I'm, I'm ready to go. And so um, I think I've learned that over the time that again, when we talk about adjusting with the players, I still believe in competing. I still believe in, in competition as the front, but how I view competition has changed as I've gotten to know these young people more and more. And so that's kind of something that I've, but from a competition standpoint, that's why I think you can you can increase the skill. I, I think it's something you can work on. It's something that you can. I mean, it, it is what it is. I, now, do I think it has to also be in your recruiting? Does it have to be in your message? Does it, does it have to be in the way you hire staffing? Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, you have to you have to hire a staff that resembles what you want your team to look like, and your message has to has to start forming that team and how you set up your practices. Speaking of hiring your your team and your staff specifically, I'm reading this book right now about uh, from Peter Thiel, who's the founder of PayPal. And, and one of the things he talked about in the book is, you know, when he was starting PayPal, um, you know, he was specifically looking for people who weren't just into technology and into coding, but he was looking for people who had common beliefs about the entire world as him. When you're looking to hire a staff, is it similar where like, man, you guys spend so much time together. You, you, there has to be some similarities and some common beliefs, or is that different in your, in, in the baseball space? 
Yeah, no, I, I think what you just said right there is one of the biggest factors of hiring for me. Um, do I want to have a beer with this guy? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like, because again, I'm going to be, I mean, I've been around this staff now, obviously we have hunkered in here trying to, trying to create something new and, and, and being, you know, being a new, being a new staff and we're learning Notre Dame's ways. And, um, but I've been around this staff more than I've been around my family over the last six months. So if wow. you're going to make that type of sacrifice and we all do it, if we want to do something great, we all do it. Then you're going to want to be around people that when you walk in in the morning, the you know, you want to talk about your kids, your family, what's going on and and, and have a general interest. You know, you know what I mean? Because again, we don't just want to talk about baseball 24 seven, like, like, the, you know, there's long stretches of bus rides where you just want to talk about movies that you've watched or, or, or what have you. And so I think having those general interests are, are important. Do I, is it the only thing though? I mean, you gotta, there's gotta be a talent accusation, right? Like you gotta be able to like, you, you have to, they have to be able to do what you want, you know, and have some knowledge behind what you're doing. But yeah, I do believe that having, and I think I think at Notre Dame it's even more important because there is there is such a university mission, and those they have to be bought into that, or it's not going to work here at all. Like you're just you're just not going to, from an academic standpoint, from a university mission standpoint. There's just some things that that come first here, and you have to put them first. And so, you know that that certainly is is a piece, and and I could see where, like you said, if you're going to be around these people so long. Um, do you want to go have a couple beers with them at the end of the day? And if you can do that, then you can probably get your staff on the same, on the same page. Analytics has taken over baseball, especially from a pitching standpoint. It seems that pitching has, has really, I don't know if I say bought in, but the technology is just everywhere in the pitching world. And I'm, I'm curious from a head coaching standpoint, um, do a lot of reading and I was, I've been reading some stuff on Steve jobs lately and, and even um, Bezos. And I find it interesting as analytical as, as, as those guys are, when they make the, their, their biggest decisions, it's, it's their gut. They don't, they don't always go. They don't go with the analytics. They go, I'm, I'm going to make this because my gut tells me to make this decision. Not, I don't care about the analytics. So how, how often do, do you go that route of it's your gut versus the analytics well i I think the analytics help sharpen your gut right Mm -hmm. like and that's how it should be used i don't think i don't think the analytics should be used for making every decision i think it should be used to give you the tools to allow for your gut to strengthen you know and, and as you see the analytics play out in the real world then you're like, okay, that makes sense. And I'm a big believer of this. Now I can go, I, I can go, which is going with your gut. But at the end of the day, I I think you win and lose with people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I always, you know, my team always looks at me strange when I say, you know what, you're a team I can lose with. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? At the end of the day, if we go out and play our best and we, I know that I'm fine with the results because this group has, has given me every effort they can. Like, I, I believe in who they are enough that, you know, and you always, and, and as a coach, you always know, like, hey, look, if it's pressure situation, I'm fine losing with that guy on the mound, right? I'm fine losing with, with that guy on the mound. He is the guy that gives us our effort. He's the guy the team believes in. Maybe the analytics are a little bit off. Now, 
again, he's on the mound because something told you analytically this that has backed you up to say it's late in the game and he probably should be on the mound. But from there, I think it's that piece where you can be like, you know what, at the end of the day, if this goes bad, he's got my back and I got his back and I'm I'm okay with with this going this going south. And and so those are to me, I think that you win and lose with people. And and you know, at the end of the day, Steve Jobs, you know, the amazing things he always did was he made the product better than no matter what. No matter what the bottom line and the analytics told him about cost, he made the product better for people. Mm. He wanted it to look better for people. And then which in turn then ended up making it so it sold and, and then the bottom line is good. But but he made the product look good, feel good, and work well for people. And so I, I think at the end of the day, you kind of win and lose with people and, and, you know, and doesn't mean I ignore the analytics. It just means I'm trying to use the analytics to strengthen how, how, what my belief is in that person. Yeah. I think we saw that firsthand a couple of years ago in the, in the world series, I believe with um, the Rays and um, you know, them taking pictures that uh, I think it was Blake Snell out when he, after he was just shoving, I get it, you know, hindsight 2020, but to your point, you made a great point where it's like, Hey, I'm okay losing with this guy because of not just what he's done, but you know, he's the leader on the team and, you know, everyone respects him, that type of a thing. Speaking of, of leaders, do you believe in team captains? Not right now. I don't, (laughs) not currently. I have had, I have had them. I've done, I've had captains. I've had leadership councils i've had you know i've had nothing right now we're at a nothing i didn't think coming into notre dame that i had a, a good enough feel for where we we're at sometimes team captains become a popularity contest you know and, and one thing i've i've learned over the years you know leadership just mean means influence right doesn't mean good influence it just means influence like at the end of the day there are guys in your locker room that have a tremendous amount of leadership that are not on the, not on the page of you, Mm. you know, and they, they are a team captain to a select group of people um, who who may, who may be unhappy. You know, I think, I think sometimes the team captain piece um, just kind of becomes a little bit of a pop, your best player becomes your team captain. And and that's, that's not, he he may not want it. You know, a lot of times I've found that our best players many times were, Actually, the opposite. They were just like, "Hey, man, I'll, I'm go. Let me hit my three thirty, and and I'll and I'll do that." And and you know, you, or you have that pitcher that's you know, pitchers are selfish by nature, you know, and and um, so you have to be careful there. I think a little bit. Again, I will play that by ear on what I think that team needs, and then we will adjust. But to stuff a captainship on somebody just because you did it the year before. Again, I don't think that's I don't think that's smart. If if you have a guy who's going to be a captain, right now we have three or four tremendous leaders on this Notre Dame club, and I don't think I need to pick one of them. You know, I, I go I go to one of them if I think if if it's a pitching scenario. I go to one of them if I think it's a you know an offensive scenario. They just kind of have their niches, you know, in the in those areas, and I bring them all in when I want to hear from all of them. Um, so you know, I just. I, I try to create leaders in everybody. I tried to create captains of everybody. Um, but right now I I'm I'm not not on that page. You mentioned leadership council. Is that similar to just 
having three or four guys and, and them talk to everybody? Like, how did that work? You know, I've done it a couple of times, uh, a couple of different ways. We have had that. When I, when I did it VCU for a couple of years, that way is I'd have, a, I'd have someone on the freshman class, sophomore class, junior class, and then, then, a, then a one or maybe it was a senior and then a, and then a, someone else who was voted, someone else, a top vote getter. Right. And so we would have that council. And so I, what I was trying to do was foster the leadership. I wanted that young freshman to sit in there and hear some of the conversations that were brought up by the older guys so that they could be, Oh, you know what? That, that makes sense. And then they're, you know, the freshmen are living in dorms and the seniors are living in apartments. So I, I want to hear from the freshman group. Hey man, what's, you know, is there problems in the dorm? Is there anything that we need to, you know, address? You know, I wanted to hear all those things because many times the freshmen, they're not going to go to the senior captain and be like, Hey, you know, uh, uh, there's no hot water in the dorms <laughs> this week, you know, stuff like that. You know, they, they may not, get, you know, they may not feel comfortable to do that. So just trying to maybe have a voice so where they could come in and, and say, Hey, what's going on with the freshman class? Well, you know, we're not, we don't have enough time to get to the cafeteria at night. Um, and we don't eat at home like everybody. And then I can make those adjustments. So I thought that stuff worked, worked really well. I've kind of come off that just, just to do some meetings more. I just try to do more one-on-one meetings now and, and, and kind of hear the voice and the pulse of the team. Um, and that's something you always have to work on. That's, that's really tough because we get caught up in budget scheduling, all these other things. You got to remember that your number one, number one responsibility is to serve the players. And, and to do that, I think you need to meet with them. One one of the other things that I had, had heard about you from a, a coaching standpoint is <clears throat> which I think is awesome um, is you never play favorites. And when I was in, in professional baseball uh, with the Orioles, I had, I had a manager tell me and he goes, if, if the player's this good, you'll put up with this much. If they're this good, you'll put up with this much. And for those who aren't watching the video, it's basically, if it's not a good player, you won't put up with much. And if it's a good player, you'll put up with a lot. Um, (laughs) How do you, how do you go about making sure that, everyone you treat everybody the same i know that sounds so simple but it's got to be hard when some guys are playing a lot some guys are playing really well and then other guys aren't doing aren't on the on the roster or really contributing to the team in any shape of of form yeah and i would tell you patrick i don't treat i don't treat everybody the same i treat it you know i tell everybody i will everyone will be treated fairly not everybody Mm -hmm. will be treated equally okay Mm -hmm. and so like right now we're getting ready for the season. Everybody's going to get a fair amount of bats. They're not going to get equal at bats. All right, our three-hole hitter right now while we're scrimmaging is going to get a lot more at bats than the young freshman who's probably not ready to help us this year. All right, but what you got to do is make sure the young freshman understands why he's not getting those at bats and this guy is. And so then he feels like he's being treated fairly. You know, and, and I think at the end of the day, one, I do, I do not care who plays. Like, like we have a style that we play to. I we chart it, we post it. I'm very transparent with it. And if you don't know why you're not playing, I can go right to it, man. Like, here's why you're not pitching. Here's why you're not helping us offensively. There's nothing I can do about that. You know, you're accountable to this. And and this is, this is, I've been very transparent about this is how I'm going to grade a lot of things. Um, From there, again, it comes back to your core values. If there's an incident off the field, I'm just not going to waver. Like, I'm just like, I'm up front with how we're going to, how we're going to approach these things. And I look at them, 
I think the fact that I look at them very, um, I don't want to say plainly, but I just look at them with an open lens from the standpoint of this is how we're going to treat it. Everyone's getting treated this way. I think it also allows for the guys to not be scared to come in and talk to me about it because we move on quickly from it. I, I, I don't, I don't think of them personal. It's not a personal thing. It's not a, Hey man, you missed class classes. You know, you know, very clearly the standard of this program is you go to class, you know, it happens to be the fall time. So you're going to miss some practice. If this was March 15th, you're going to miss a game. And, and so, and you know, and you, you talk to the team, Hey, this guy, this guy missed, missed a game. And you try to, you try to talk to the team about the fact that, Hey man, if you miss a game or you, you skip class at the wrong time of year, now you miss a game. We lose that game. That game may be the difference in us hosting a regional, not hosting a regional, getting in, not getting in. You know, it, you try to show them the compound effect of what every one of their decisions makes on everybody else in the in the program. Um, but I think being fair and not being equal like that, like that, that that's the thing for me is is there are some guys in this program that um, quite honestly, if it, if they told me their alarm didn't go off, I really believe that. And then there's some other guys, their alarm, their alarm doesn't go off every week. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, their dog, their dog eats their homework every other, every other project. And so, you know, at the end of the day, Hey man, all right, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to skip practice today, get back at it tomorrow. Hey man, this is happening every week. Won't you take a week off and reevaluate if this is, if this is a priority or not. So you just, I think, you, but both understand that and both, both understand where they're at in the program. And I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest piece of it. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that's maybe the most underrated thing I think in coaching is, is communicating with the player on where they stand consistently, because I can tell you from a player standpoint, there's nothing worse than walking up to the lineup card and expecting to see your name there and then it not be there. And then you're like, oh man, like what actually happened? What am I doing wrong? You know what I mean? So I think that constant communication is, man, is so important. I think so many coaches overlook that. I really do. You know, a, a lot of times when I was at VCU, and we didn't do it this year because I was in such an evaluation piece of things. Many times at VCU when I felt like I had a pretty good pulse of what was returning, very quickly on the inter-squad days, like in the fall, I, I would A-team, and and I don't want to call them B team, but the others. And then we would have transaction Wednesday and guys would get pulled up and, and sent down. And, you know, just everyone constantly knew where they stood. And we would talk about a, hey, this guy, and, and we wouldn't send guys down more. So we would pull guys. So we'd say this guy had, a you know, took a hit by pitch, had a dirt ball read, you know, played flawless defense. He's playing with the A team because of that and reward those guys. And, you know, maybe the other guy, you know, we wouldn't necessarily talk about his negative out in public, but I would discuss it with him during, hey, man, this guy's out playing you right now. It's just plain and simple. And the other thing we would do many times is every week in the fall, I would post a travel squad. So if the bus left today, here's who's on it. Oh, I, I like just, that. I just think, again, everyone's everyone's like, well, you know, you know, guys haven't proven themselves yet. What, yeah, yeah. Prove yourself every day. Rent's due every day. And so – if we have one practice, then after this practice today, these are the guys who would be traveling. And so I think, again, that lets guys look up and say, um, I'm doing what I need to do in this program, or I need to maybe step it up. And, and then you can have meetings with them and say, hey, you saw you, I didn't have you traveling 
this past week. How, how do you feel about that? What do you feel about that? Let's, you know, and here's what I think you need to do. And you, but you get, better be willing to tell them what they need to do mm-hmm. to, to get on that bus. And then when they do that, you need to reward them and, and reward them publicly, reward them publicly in front of the team. I like that, man. You're, that's that's that was incredible right there. I loved all that what you just said about the travel squad and everything. That's that's huge. I, I've never heard of anybody say that before from a a coach, a head coach. Anyway, is that something you came up with on your own, Patrick? There's nothing that I've come up with on my own. Okay, <laughs> okay so let, let's get that out there right now. Like you know, I am I am I am nothing but an example of somebody that's been around really good ba- baseball people who has listened to podcasts like this, who has been fortunate enough to, um, to have some opportunities. And, and, and so pretty much everything I got, I always, I always laugh. I always tell people if I ever got a chance to speak at like the ABCA convention or something like that, my speech would literally be on beyond everything I stole from the ABCA convention to have success <laughs> to be, to be up here, you know, you know and so, I don't I, I don't know who exactly I got. I do know other programs have done things like that before in the past. And and so, um, you know, I adopted it at one point and it is nerve wracking. Like, cause you have these big time recruits that you've recruited and, you know, to you have a guy on big money and, and he passed up the draft and he's in your program and week one, you're sending a message being, Hey man, you're not on the bus today. Cause you walk three guys in your one inning and, and had bad body language. You got to you got to check yourself a little bit. But what I have found is it actually it actually strengthens your culture, does not divide, does not divide your culture. Do you feel like you have to re-recruit a lot of the players on your team because of the transfer portal? I don't know here at Notre Dame. I I don't I don't we'll we'll figure that piece out. Um, I tell you, that would be something that would really be disheartening for me in this profession. You know, as I think any baseball coach would tell you, the recruiting is the the piece that I wouldn't say that we don't love because we get to, we love getting to know these families, but it's, it's the toughest, it's the most time consuming piece. Um, you know, I think at VCU, we were lucky we were winning. We had a really, really strong culture. I never felt like guys were, were willing to leave or wanted wanting to leave or, but yeah, I think many of us in the profession right now, that has been the biggest thing with the, transfer portal and NIL is that you have to continuously recruit your players. Um, and that's, that's a tough, that's a tough place to be. I, I don't know if it's so much you have to continuously recruit your players, but you better know where, how they're feeling and, and where they stand a lot. Has that changed how you go about recruiting high school players at all because of the transfer portal and you have more options elsewhere. So maybe the classes aren't as big. Well, you know, at Notre Dame, you know, when you have a place with the education and the degree that we have, an undergrad transfer really is not not a realistic option or living that way. We can get one or two every once in a while um, if the right academic scenario happens. But um, graduate transfers, we can we, we, we can get. And, you know, the previous staff did an unbelievable job with that. And we have some now because of that. And, um, but that's starting to dry up, too, right, because COVID's. COVID, the COVID relief is ending. And now if a guy's on his fifth year, he's probably been hurt at some point. Right. You know, so, um, but if you were at, when I was at VCU, I mean, yeah, saving some money for the portal was something that we, that we really had to consider hanging around. I, you know, 
you know, I heard from, I've all, I used to hear from an old basketball coach at VCU. He said, always have a fool laying around in August. <laughs> and so <laughs> we wouldn't have a fool, but we would have some money laying around in August to, you know, to get a guy in or something. Awesome. Sean, I, I appreciate you uh, you coming on today, man. It's been a ton of fun. Uh, it's been it's so valuable to to have coaches like you come on, share your wisdom, even though if, even if you say you stole it from somebody else. Um, I think it's awesome to to be able to to pass pass all that knowledge on. So I appreciate it. Um, and again, man, we'll be following you this year. Yeah, Patch, this has been a great time for me as well. And thank you for thinking about us and, and Notre Dame and, and so and having me on. And certainly anytime I can ever help or anything, let me know. OK, we'll do. We'll do. Thank you for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media, text it to a friend, email it to another coach. This podcast is going to grow by word of mouth faster than any other way, and I need your help in order to make that happen. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back with another brand new episode next week.